0: Many of you have heard teachings on wilderness experiences, but this one is not the same. This is uh, good news for those of us who are finding ourselves in the wilderness. And we're asking questions as we're meeting this house. And for some of you, you don't know the history behind the spirit, but we started here. And we have gone in all different Places like the wilderness, and have met in various places over time, and we find ourselves right here. And so, whether on a personal level or a corporate level, we often find ourselves asking these questions What have I done wrong? We can plural that. What have we done wrong? What is going on? God, what are you doing? Are you angry at me, Lord? Am I backsliding? Am I in sin or self-deception? Am I being punished for something? Have I missed God altogether? The sign somewhere. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with us? (laughs) So, I want to challenge um, your perspective on life in the wilderness from one as an experience just to survive through to one as a dweller and even loving it at times. So we're going to look at John the Baptist as our inspiration. So who was John? He was the son of Zacharias who was a priest. His uh, wife was Elizabeth. She was also from a priestly lineage. They were very much involved in temple life. When Zacharias was performing his priestly duties, that's when an angel appeared to him and told him about the upcoming birth of his son. So, John's wonderful destiny was foretold in Luke, in chapter 1. Things such as he's going to be great in the sight of the Lord, he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, even in the womb. Turning many sons back to God, he was to be a forerunner before Jesus in the spirit and power of Elijah. He was going to turn hearts of the fathers back to their children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. How would you like to get that type of prophetic word? Well, that's, pretty, that's pretty powerful. But <clears throat> there's a price that comes with those prophetic type of words. So <clears throat> what I want to do is our key passage is in the Gospel of John turn to the first chapter of the Gospel of John and we're going to start well I was going to say start with 6 but because of the songs we sang today I'm going to start with verse 1. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. Skip down to verse 15, John testified about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. Skip down to 19, this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And John, he confessed and said, And did I deny? I am not the Christ. They asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Well, who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? So I want to stop there for just a second. He said, So John is living where? In the wilderness. Mm -hmm okay but um so he wasn't in the temple with his parents he was out in the wilderness wearing stinky camel clothes and eating bugs now can you imagine that now what i discovered um today i guess i had never noticed this this verse before isn't it great you always see something new in the word of god um back in luke chapter 1 verse 80 after after the the birth of his this child and Zacharias prophesied he said it says and the child continued to grow referring to John and to become strong in spirit and he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel he lived there since a child I never saw that verse before I always think of John maybe he lived several years but he was consecrated early in life with his prophetic words so he lived for a long time. We don't know how old he was, but can you imagine as a parent allowing a child to live in the wilderness? That's a long, long time to live in a dry and barren place. So and you know, in Zacharias and Elizabeth, they were in mainstream religious life in the temple. Can you imagine the questions they must have received from the people around them? You know, and where is your son? How long has he been out there? What kind of parents are you? Are you crazy? I mean, you know, they heard, some of them heard about how the great things that were prophesied. After all, Elizabeth was old. He was old. And so I can imagine them wondering, if he's some great prophet, great man of God, what's he doing out there? You know, year after year, probably over time, people just forget about him. Uh, but some people who probably were surrounding the birth probably didn't forget about John. So it's, I'm sure it was the talk of the town for a while. Um, so <clears throat> when, when the religious leaders ask John, who are you? You know, like if I come up to you and I say, hi, my name is, I am Laura, and you are Swanson. Swanson, Swanson okay. All right, so that's how we normally introduce ourselves? I am, and we say our name. But here's these religious leaders sending their entourage, and they say, John, who are you? What what do you say about yourself? And he says, I am a voice, (laughs) you know, of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. So you think about that verse, that's, you would be taken back, wouldn't you, if someone introduced themselves that way? You know how you can read a scripture verse, year after year, you can read this. And you tend to focus on the certain parts of the verse, like make straight the way of the Lord. But when I looked at it, I started to um, see it a little differently. It says, first of all, I'm a voice where? In the wilderness. I'm like, what's this guy doing in the wilderness? You know, it doesn't make any sense, does it? A voice in the wilderness? You know, I don't get it. You know, who who was he crying out to? The locust? You know, (laughs) prepare ye the way of the Lord. Oh wait a minute, that's my dinner for tonight. You know, I mean, like you know. So you know, prophet, prophetic people are an interesting lot, aren't we? So you know, it does make you kind of wonder why wasn't he in the city? Well, where are the people? They're in Jerusalem. They're in samaria they're in uh um you know you know capernaum they're in the villages why wasn't john in jerusalem crying out to the people it doesn't make any sense see these are the type of questions you have to stop and ask when you're reading scripture because when you do you'll find something new you'll go on to this little journey in scripture and you're like Wow, something else will come to mind that you didn't notice before when you just don't just do a blanket reading and you stop and you ask questions like as if you were reading it for the first time, like a voice crying in the wilderness. What? That doesn't make any sense. So, <clears throat> you know, and also, have you ever seen pictures of the Judean wilderness in a, in a book or something? It looks, uh, reminds me of Afghanistan. It looks pretty hostile out there. This rolling barren hills and they all looks the same i can imagine it wouldn't take any time at all to get lost out there you know there's like no trees no rocks looking nothing to demarcate where you are so now continuing on with verse 24 it says now they had been sent from the pharisees and they asked him and said to him why then are you baptizing if you are not the christ nor elijah nor the prophet And John answered them, saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. And these things took place in Bethany, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And then you skip down... And it says on verse 35, again, the next day John was standing with the two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold the Lamb of God. So John's job was to testify about Jesus, about the light. Now all those years that John was living in the wilderness, way too many that I would ever want to spend, no word from God, no signs, total isolation and then suddenly the word came to him when he was in the wilderness and it gave him the green light and he started shouting it says I cried in the wilderness but it's actually closer to shouting in the wilderness make ready the way of the Lord and I believe that John was prophetically declaring where he was doesn't matter, really. I mean, he's out in the wilderness, but that not for an audience at that time, but he was declaring in the spirit realm a message of bringing the life into the dry, the dry and barren places. And this opened the way for the people. So I can imagine year after year thinking, maybe this is the year that God's going to give me a clue of what I'm supposed to do or when this thing is supposed to start. So when the word comes, he just started declaring. And then before you know it, the people started coming. Isn't that amazing? So a change was taking place. He wasn't declaring that at first, I believe, to the people. He was declaring it in the spirit realm. He knew he was the fulfillment of Scripture because he said, I am the voice. The voice, that's who he identified. He didn't say, oh, hi, I'm John, and you are. He said, I'm the voice. So he is speaking. The voice of God, he is bringing fulfillment from Isaiah. And that as prophetic voices, that's what we do. We are the voices crying out in dry places to bring bring life. So John had to believe all those years that he did not miss God. But he learned in all those years something. He learned the secret of being a wilderness dweller. You know, he didn't go to Jerusalem. He didn't have the temple life. He was clothed in a camel skin, an animal that is indigenous to wilderness living. I watched a, a animal show one time, and they showed a herd of camels. And it's funny, I've never seen a herd of camels that were actually really wild, because they're used as, you know, the livestock. But they actually were wild camels so far out in this dry and barren places the wolves would try to pursue them and they would pursue and pursue trying to catch up to the camels but the camels kept moving and finally there was a certain place where even the wolves didn't go there only the camels could survive there which is pretty amazing so even the wolves you know they gave up pursuing um, the camels and so i think it's interesting that he clothed himself uh, with an animal that is able to survive in the wilderness, just as we are to clothe ourselves, making ourselves ready, you know. And then he was—he um, also wore a leather belt. And you know, most of the time we see pictures where people wear the you know loose-fitting robe and everything. But if if someone had to run or move quickly, they would take um, their belt and they would pull up their robe and tuck it into their belt and gird themselves up so that they can be able to run, see? And so he wore a leather belt, which I'm sure is uncomfortable, but it probably signified that he was girded for action. He was ready for action. When God said, go, he was ready, okay? So he girded himself, just as we're to gird ourselves up. So John was outside of Jerusalem, the temple life, as it was for many of the Israelites, they knew nothing of the type of life that he would know, and so the religious status quo and how they existed. So why did the people come out to him? Because he had a message that was not being presented in the current religious world. After all, temple life is all centered around you know uh, the sacrifices and ceremonial. Things to to do in order to, in order to, you know, purify yourself, but it didn't change the inner heart condition. And so he's presenting a message that people were drawn to because, after all, they were drawn to the light. And he testified that he wasn't the light, but he pointed to the light, just as in Isaiah, referring to Jesus coming, it says the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And so he was preaching a message of true repentance, of confession of your sins and forgiveness. And that's not something that was being presented. And, you know, they lived under an oppressive Roman regime. And I think the people of Israel at the time felt very forsaken, probably wondering, where did we go wrong with God, right? They needed hope. And so there was a sense that there's probably something we're not doing right. Something's not working for us. And so then here comes an answer of this is, this is a way to be baptized for your sins. You know, I'm gonna, but one coming after me is greater. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so this is what John was talking about. And today it's no different. We are being prepared by the Lord on purpose to step in new places. And those who feel outside of mainstream Christian life, and many of us have. We have found ourselves outstream of the status quo Christian church life as we have known it. And <clears throat> this, is, this is what um, I believe that God is, is doing with us and that we are being prepared to, not just being prepared, but we're prepared to lead the way we are being prepared to lead the way so to prepare others for the coming of the Lord in a new way and those who feel lost just like the song we were saying you know I'm desperate for you I'm lost without you At times we feel that way how much more are people who are very disillusioned with life people separated from God completely and they have felt totally lost and um, they're able, we're going to be able to identify with them, and they're going to be able to identify with us to bring hope to people. So, But I read this book, and it talked about a, a huge um, disillusionment of people with the church. Huge amounts of Christians are leaving churches, and for various reasons, and even in other countries. And it's like, wow, and these are like mature Christians and even leaders, So something is is happening, and people are looking for new direction and new leadership and most of all the voice of God. And they want to know the way. And these people are going to be drawn to the ones who are crying out in the wilderness. Because the people came out to John. John didn't go to them, they came to John. Isn't it interesting? All these years he was out there in the wilderness. But as soon as he started decreeing and declaring, then the way started opening and people started coming. They wanted to hear what he had to say. When you're desperate, you go where you need to go to find God, right? Okay, so you've got to go out in the wilderness. All right, well, you know, the Israelites have a history in the wilderness. I guess they weren't too afraid, right, to go out and see what this strange guy is talking about. So God is preparing new wine for new wineskins. Now, the religious leaders question John, you know, why are you doing this if you say that you're not the Christ, and you're not the prophet, and you're not Elijah? And they will question those of us who find ourselves, for various reasons, outside of, of the mainstream. Anytime we, for, we function outside of normative Christian life, we're going to be criticized. And, you know, he, when they came out, the leaders, John the Baptist said, you brood of vipers you know what brought you out here Mm. he referred to them as snakes and that was launched not at your average person it was it was launched at the religious leaders of the day and and he said about an axe being laid at the root and it wasn't an axe being laid against unbelievers but against those that God the people of God that he that God expected to see fruit from so You know, any system in place, no matter how religious it looks, can have an axe put to it if it's not keeping with the fruit that God expects. He's sovereign. He can start anything, God can shut anything down. He is sovereign. So you know, and Jesus, when he came, he was showing the people the new way of the new covenant with better promises, like Hebrew says, without the bondages of religious structures. with with freedom in the Spirit, with a real relationship that is vibrant and deep and intimate with Jesus, and not necessarily a relationship with an organization or an institution, but with fellow followers of Christ that is rich and vibrant and living. It's different. And I think that that's what people are looking for. That's why people are coming to home, home churches and home fellowship groups, because they're looking for an intimate Christ, that is lived out through His people, through relationships with each other, so that that God's light can shine through us. You know, um, prophetic and apostolic people, we cry out from desolate places on behalf of others, because we can identify with it. it. If it wasn't for where I've been in the past, then I wouldn't be the same person I am today, which has been a wilderness um, existence. So, So it's for his kingdom and for the people that are coming. We cry out to bring life to dead places in the church and with the word of the Lord, because his word is our very life, right? Just like the song we sang, it's the air I breathe. God and his word will never fail. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away, the Lord says. And that's what we have to rely on. When nothing else in life makes sense to us, the word of God will make sense. And and that's why we draw near to him. Isaiah 40 verse 3 says, A voice calling, Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert. A highway for our God people need to find their way and we can make it easier for them your if your parents you've desired for things to be easier for your children than it was for you right maybe they have an education that you didn't have because you sacrificed <coughs> every parent <coughs> wants something to be better for their children they they want them to enjoy things that they weren't able to enjoy they want it to be a little easier and how and we also desire to for people if possible to be headed off from disaster to not experience such heartache if something can be averted and that's what should our desire be for people and the generation coming after us is to make it easier for them a highway is a place for moving quickly and so that that it doesn't have to keep clearing the pathway over and over and over again and that's why I believe God uh, purposely talks about the wilderness because it's where people live. It's where what well, we can identify with. Because in the wilderness, you can't see what, which way to go. And there isn't any clear demarcation. And without God's guidance, you won't have a clue. And that's why we have to depend and trust on Him to direct us. So, John was emphasizing that that the way to be preparing yourself for the coming of more of God in your life was about repentance and forgiveness and baptism and we need to always be a repentant people in our own hearts and actions so we can receive more of the Lord. We can't circumvent the message of the cross and when we talk to other people we can want blessings in their life but you cannot circumvent the cross you know you have to lead people to the cross first. Much of the mistakes that have been made in churches is that we lead people to the church, but we don't lead people to Christ. They, and, and they've never understood what true discipleship is. You know, and so, so whether you're coming from churches and experiencing things, or from the world, the message is the same. A repentant life for God, and also how we treat others, because John addressed that. When, when John was imprisoned, before his death, he sent word through his disciples to go to Jesus and ask if he was the expectant one, or shall we look for someone else? And even John, when facing death, and I'm sure he knew he was facing death, second-guessed himself. Who wouldn't? We all do, when facing death, can second-guess ourselves. So we all struggle with things. But Jesus was so gracious, because he said, Go tell John the lame leap, the deaf hear, the blind see because he knew, he would know that that was a prophetic fulfillment to assure John that he was on track. He's got the right guy. And God wants to assure all of us in our wilderness towing life that we are part of his plans. We haven't missed God after all. So notice too that in Luke 3, 2, the word of God came to John in the wilderness. So many times we're expecting it to be through an amazing worship service or, um, you know, someone else is prophesying to us or a song on the radio, it could be. But it was in that wilderness place of life that the Word did come to God. Direction does come from God. He's not always silent. And I believe in those years with walking with God, he had to depend on God for his very survival. The air he breathed. To survive, he had to trust in God, and so I believe he had some intimate times with Him. But <clears throat> he questioned, "Gee, was this sacrificial life was was it for nothing? Can you imagine if he's facing death and he's lived this sacrificial life? Because his life was shorter ministry than Jesus. You no know, sooner than people started coming and he was baptizing, you know, you know, then he had that encounter with." What, Herod, and anyway, so his, his, his ministry was really short, and so he needed reassurance that, you know, he was tracking with God. When John, when the crowds came out to, to John in the wilderness, they were asking him um, advice, and uh, they were questioning him, saying, well, you know, what then shall we do? what what shall we do? And he would answer and say to them, the man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none. You know, help somebody who needs some clothes. And he who has food is to do likewise. Feed someone who doesn't have anything. And some tax collectors also came to him to be baptized, and they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than what you have been ordered to. And then some soldiers questioned him, and I imagine these were probably Roman soldiers they were listening. After all, they were always into crowd control. Whenever people of Israel were gathering, you know, they were going to be there to watch out for crowd control. And so even they got in on the game. Well, hey, what about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely and be content with your wages. And so, you know, he gave pretty practical advice. So you can imagine people are wondering, who is this guy, John? He's probably pretty weird looking or scary looking. And you can imagine they were wondering, what's this guy gonna say? And we might think he was just gonna talk in prophetic language all the time, you know? And that's not, when John was approached, he gave very practical advice to people. So um, that's what I really, uh, appreciate about about John at, at this point at this point in the scriptures you know he gave them hope so and did you notice that John's cry in the wilderness wasn't a cry of woe is me <laughs> life is hard feel sorry for me or god is mad at me he was prepare ye the way of the lord so there's not only um purpose in the wilderness but even an abundant life with christ there and deserts are not dead and devoid, it just may be more hidden, um, but it's there. You know, there's hidden springs, there are oases, um, there, are, there is life in the desert. And when the rains come, the desert I've heard is so spectacular when it's in bloom that people will drive for miles and miles and miles away to see a desert in bloom. I would love to see a desert in bloom because the colors are so vibrant and I imagine how beautiful it is to see something that's been buried for a long time and then to be in bloom. You know, we all love to live in the oasis of a Christian life, but those who find themselves in the wilderness of everyday grind of life will be able to relate to the wilderness dwellers more than those who only know life in the oasis. The loss and the hurting and desperate they're, they're needing a message of hope and I don't know about you but when you're going through a rough time are you drawn think about this when you've been through a rough time were you drawn to the people who only wanted to talk about the great church service and the revelations and the visions that they saw you know oh it is in a wonderful service oh god is good hallelujah praise the lord thank you jesus Ah." and you know are you drawn to those type of people when you're hurting (coughs) no you're really not in fact those people they're having a great time but they're so out of touch they have no clue that the people right around them are really hurting they're so so excited about this that they don't (coughs) notice the quietness of somebody with the tears the heart cry, they don't. See, we're drawn to people because of a wilderness experience. And I have a friend who um, was really precious to me and she's not able to live the the life that most people can live. She's more housebound than others and this has been for years and years due to circumstances in the family life. And when I was going through a rough time, I was able to call her at times when I didn't know what else to do. And just have someone to cry on their shoulder and to listen and because her her voice is so soothing and that it was just it was was what I needed at the time and you know why because she knows a whole life of wilderness dwelling and she can speak and pray and be there for someone like me at that time because she knows what that life is like and those are the people that we can become for others so um, many Christians, their life experiences a spiritual oasis. And when that oasis dries up, dries up, they move on to the next oasis and we become oasis seekers and dwellers. And you know what all of us enjoy those times? We truly do. And, um, but if I were a wilderness dweller and I liken this to somebody who was uh, like on a vacation sitting by the pool, drinking that nice drink with an umbrella in it, And I was saying, hey, come out to the desert and see what God has for you. What would you say to me if you were sitting by the pool with a drink in your hand? I don't think so. Have a nice time. (laughs) Would you like one? (laughs) And then you're like, come on, come on. And I'm like, are you crazy? I go out there, I'll die. <laughs> you know, When you think about it. Many of the beautiful places you can travel to around the world are like oases in the desert, right? Or even Las Vegas is in the desert. And so, you know, oasis dwellers are like spiritual vacations. They're always looking for their next spiritual vacation, their next experience in God. And but the thing is, is you see a picture of an oasis. You know, it gives the illusion of life but it's surrounded by a desert. Mm. And where are most people living? In the desert. They're living in the wilderness in their life, trying to find purpose in life. And many Christians, too, are finding themselves in those wilderness places. That's where the vast majority are. And so they are right. If they come out to the desert, you will die. You will die to self. That's where you will die. You will have to die to all about what I want. All about what I want in life. What I want from God. What I'm trying to get from God. Or what I want for my families. Because that's not kingdom minded. That's self minded. Even being well meaning for your concerns. Or for the needs of your family. Can still be self focused. So people who are... um, in real need, um, they're not going to be able to connect with the people who only live in Oasis land, who've never known what it's like to struggle from paycheck to paycheck, who've never lost a home, who've never lost a job. Life is good for them. There's a lot of people like that. <clears throat> so there's the secret life in God that's only experienced not by willingness experiences, but by learning that place to find God as a wilderness dwelling and God is so gracious he does give us those oasis he does give us times of refreshing he will do that for us because he's a good God but when we learn that secret life it will make a difference for everything else that happens um, when I was in Russia on a mission trip we met this wonderful Russian um, pastoral couple and they t- invited us to their their uh, apartment and uh, you know, of course, things are slowed down through translations, but there was something about this couple, and just just being in their presence, they just exuded God, you know, and it was just, I just can't even explain what it felt like to be in their presence, and I was just so fascinated by them, and they started telling a few stories, and they said that many years ago, um you know with the iron curtain down they they were literally on the run for their life and this man and his wife fled for their lives and guess where they fled into they fled into the siberian wilderness you know that's where they fled to and we're like whoa (laughs) they're like well how how long were you there 10 years 10 years in the middle of the siberian wilderness and they said, yeah, so I'm like, "But what did you do? Well, we built a house. <laughs> like, how did you do that? You know, I mean, my goodness, the questions that went flying through my head. Oh, I wanted to know so much. Well, how did you do that? How did you survive? Well, where did you get the tools? How did You know, they're surrounded by trees, but you have no tools. How do you build a house without tools? And, you know, they were on the run for their life. So I, I can't even imagine what how they did that. And they said that they would have never traded that experience because they drew near to each other as a married couple and they drew near to god and guess what their ministry was after that uh, over the years uh, well at least at the time that we met them is is that they do retreats and help minister to people who are in ministry who are burned out and they minister especially to married couples because they at one point were on the verge of divorce and God healed their marriage so they bring healing to broken marriages and to minister to people who need refreshing to pour into people in the ministry and you can bet that what they have said what they say to these people carry weight and authority and power because they learn to live as wilderness dwellers so they, what they said is going to be powerful to anybody who comes to them. And so we have to, you know, we all look for those uh, um, wonderful times in God, but, you know, it it is those harder places of life that gives us the authority to speak into other people's lives. Um, The other day, we were um, at Paul's house, we were singing the song, These are the Days of Elijah. Haven't heard that song in forever. And I remember dancing in a, in a, 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 in the service with that song playing and it's the old song these are the days of Elijah you know preparing the way for the Lord and then it says in part of the refrain and we are the voices of one in the desert crying you know preparing the way for the Lord and it says we are the voices you know so you get caught in a song and you're praising God and thinking it's great and guess what you're just saying about yourself <laughs> we're voices in the wilderness See? So, something to think about when you sing, sing a song, what you're really singing. So, because in the wilderness, you have to trust God for absolutely everything or you will die. You will, No doubt, you will die. And see, the secret life means that we don't have the comfort and the security and the predictability of life and the normative Christian church life. I go to church on Sunday here, Sunday school at this time, you know, and we go to the social afterwards with the potluck and the Wednesday night Bible service, and you know, it's a very predictable life. All my friends are there, and my family's there, you know. We don't have that as prophetic and apostolic people. now. We can meet people who have who love their church having a great time and they'll say, "Hey come over to visit my church with me and you know and you can go and you can visit with them but if you're a wilderness dweller, you'll find yourself sitting there going, "No, if I stay here I'm gonna, I'm gonna die, die. <laughs> seriously see how the tables are turned If I stay here I'm gonna die." <laughs> So, I will, I will die spiritually and having more of what life appears to offer, but I'll have no fulfillment with God with what he has for me in him. It is truly a hidden life in Christ. That's what Paul said, our life is hidden in Christ. It's not easily seen or understood by others, not by family or friends or co-workers, but it's a very close walk with the Lord walking with Him every day no matter where He leads us. Prophetic and apostolic people, I believe, will die spiritually if we try to build a life around an oasis life. Living for the next experience. We all desire those experiences with God. It doesn't mean that we don't desire those or that He doesn't want to give us those experiences. But if we live for that and build a life around that, then We're going to be very disappointed because a lot of people have. They have experienced amazing things and amazing churches. And things shifted and happened and they've found themselves coming away, going, everything else after that is a letdown. So um, we are called to be those wilderness dwellers, to be prepared and to prepare others for the way of the Lord so they can see, as the scripture says, the salvation of our God. People need to know, if, I come, if I'm out in the wilderness, will I die? And we can say, you will see God. You will experience God. Jesus says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? So Matthew 16, 24 is saying that's the secret right there. We forfeit something when we try to run after security, safety, comfort, predictableness. Our, soul, our souls can die a slow death. We can have all the comforts of life, all the material blessings and security, and all the money in a bank account. We can have all those things, but we can risk, risk dying a slow death trying to live an oasis life like many people are. So we resist the wilderness because it means we cannot be self-reliant. Or maybe we think that as mature Christians means that maybe I don't have to run to God for so many things, but that's just the contrary. We have to run to Him for everything and we can become a very hardy people. Desert dwellers are really hardy people and they're not easily shaken by everything that comes in life like others. Because we've learned that secret life to experiencing God, his presence, his word, his provision, and his voice. It becomes such sustenance to us that during any of life's challenges that often they, they don't matter as much. Some people do die in the wilderness. Just many of the Israelites, I looked that up. I finally, I was like, where is that? How old were they? And God said that anyone over 20 was going to die like, over 20 was going to die in the wilderness. I'm thinking, oh my goodness. <laughs> so, you know, because people die in the wilderness because they trust in their own strengths or their own sheer willpower to get through life instead of God. You know, we too can enjoy temple life at times. It's not. I'm not saying that it's wrong with the churches. You know, John didn't say anything against the temple life. It was ordained by God. You know, his parents were there, but he had a different call in his life. So it doesn't mean that all the churches are doing everything wrong. It just means that as apostolic and prophetic people, we may be called to walk in a different way than your average Christians do. And he will send us times of refreshing. We just can't build our life around that or depend on it, that temple life. To survive, because many people get crushed, their heart, their faith gets destroyed when things go wrong in their church life, or leadership, or something, and their lives are really crushed. They don't seem to even recover, and they just start to turn their backs on God, because their their life was was dependent on that. But we're supposed to trust in God and God alone, and not um, a particular person. So you know, Jesus did. Jesus um, led a deserted, he often went to deserted and lonely places to meet with God. And his disciples were there with him. And so, you know, that's something to consider. So there are times when we're in need. It's not always that people are who we need, but it's times alone with God. And the loneliest times in your life when you are away from others can be the best times in your life. I emailed a friend about that, she's finding herself in a place of isolation, and I just want to encourage her, saying, you're in a good place. I said, take advantage of this time, because um, when things start to change with your kids, it's going to be different. So take full advantage of these lonely times and draw near to the Lord. Most people, especially in our culture, are afraid to be by themselves, and we have to confront our fears of aloneness in our culture. And if you don't believe that, just think about how we go around with phones attached in our ears, and people who are constantly in touch, and whose voices are in their head? Other people, right? Literally, voices are in people's heads all the time, at their beck and call. The phone rings, hello? Voices are in their head, and it's not God. (laughs) And I'm thinking, how in the world are you ever to be led by the Spirit in everyday life? Hey, go talk to that person. Hey, go pray for that person because they're always got voices in their head. <laughs> they can't hear what God is saying, right? And I know people are conducting business, but some people, I think, that's their insecurity. Um, my best, my best um, times have come from years of isolation. I, I've been, had many years of isolation and alone times with God, but it was a time for healing, and it was a time for hearing, and it was a time for strengthening. And so when I see other people who have to have friends around them all the time, you yeah, know, I don't really envy them that. I love having my friends too, but I don't have to depend on that. I can. Um, I had this lady who came to visit our church, came up and come up to me at work one time, and was it, I was getting a sense from her little brief conversations that she was experiencing people pulling away from her because she was moving out and the gifts of the Spirit. And um, I think she was feeling kind of at a loss as what to do. And she finally came back into the door to me like a third time. She goes, "Well, what what do you do? Uh, what what do you do to keep busy?" I'm like, "What do I do to keep busy?" <laughs> I'm thinking I could spend a whole day with God, and it flies by just like that. I have no problem spending free time, you know. And I wanted to talk to her further, but I didn't have the luxury at that moment. You know, in Jeremiah, uh, prophet of the Lord. In, verse, in 2 verses 1 through 2, the Lord is reminiscing about his people Israel. He says, I remember concerning you the devotion of your youth, the love of your betrothals, your following after me in the wilderness through a land not sown. And God is recalling that with fondness, with fondness. And then it goes on It says, Thus says the Lord, What injustice did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and walked after emptiness and became empty? See, the Lord longs for a people who love him more than life itself. And experiencing him in any place they find themselves. Trusting in his leadership, not running after empty things. So, And Jeremiah was told from the beginning not to take a wife. He was not allowed to have a wife or children or any normal life. Or that sense of comfort and security. And uh, it seems like God was being cruel to him. But instead, you know, God was protecting Jeremiah because he was telling him about this impending doom that Israel was going to be defeated and deported off to Babylon. And people were going to die. A lot of people were going to die. And I believe that God's protection was for Jeremiah, that he wouldn't have a wife and children to experience more heartache than he was experiencing over the loss of his countrymen. And so sometimes what may feel like, as prophetic and apostolic people, as a life that's deprived of some of the happiness and joy and easiness that other people we see are experiencing, it may seem like God is depriving something from us, but it's not. I believe it's his provision provision and protection for something else. We can't see the beginning from the end, but God can. And so when he says no to something that we've been asking him for, there may be a good reason for it, so we have to see God's goodness toward us in everything, even if it doesn't feel very good, you know. So that is um, as so as apostolic and prophetic people, we must learn to live and even love the life as a wilderness dweller, because it's a high calling, and there is a price to pay to be out of step with others, trusting God, so we can bring those messages of hope and life to others and it's not just life and hope to others God will do good things for us too because you know I'm enjoying life now more than I've had for most of my life and I wouldn't be able to enjoy what I have if it hadn't been for those alone times those difficult times and those painful times with God where He deals with our stuff because in the wilderness He breaks things off of you so that life so God's Word becomes everything to you not man's approval you know not your identity in a job or whatever God's is everything to us and that way we can show people like John and point to the light and point to Jesus the sweetest name we have known right to point to point to Jesus because people need to know how do I get to Jesus and so we have messages every one of us have messages to communicate and some of us they are prophetic declarations But some of us who maybe don't operate that way take heart because John gave practical advice to people. And you can be able to give practical advice from where you have been that will bring hope to someone. Well, do this. Just do this. Stop doing that. See, practical advice, Christian Living 101. That is the message that sometimes God will convey that is not so super spiritual sounding. People don't need to hear all those wild vision stories sometimes. They can't relate to that. They just want to know, what do I do when my teenager comes home and he's wrecked the car for the third time? How do I keep from killing him? You know, I mean, People people need practical pointing of the way. And when you walk close with God, you know, God will probably give you some pretty amazing things to say to people. So, you are wilderness dwellers. Like it or not, you're wilderness dwellers. Come to love it. Because that's the calling. You are here because you're ordinary. You have not settled. You can't settle for an ordinary life. That's why you're here. You know, if you can settle for ordinary life, there's thousands of churches around us that offer that. But if you want the prophetic life and those things of the Spirit, then be prepared. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so